All right, we're in Jesus for real. I'm gonna start with a question. How many of y'all are on Instagram? Any, Insta, any grammars out there? Some Instagrammers? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Okay, yeah, so we got some Instagram people. Okay, if you are on Instagram, you know that there are, um, there's a feature on Instagram called filters. You know about filters? Filters are what you do to the photograph to make the photograph the way you want it to look. Right? What the filters do is they change the photograph to make it look better than the reality that you just photographed. You know what I mean? And, and actually, Instagram has several different filters, but there are all different kinds of filters that you can get, different kinds of apps. And you can do anything with a filter. I mean, you can do pretty much, you can take wrinkles out with a filter. Some of you are like Googling filters right now. How do I, how do I? Um, you know, you can give yourself more hair. You can make your teeth whiter. You can take away your pimples. You can give yourself bigger biceps. You can make yourself thinner, longer eyelashes. You can give yourself a new car on fil- with filters. I mean, you can do it all with filters, right? Because the filter actually changes the actual picture uh, of what's real. A lot of times, we look at Jesus through a filter. Let me just say that one more time. A lot of times, we look at Jesus through a filter, We make Jesus look the way we want Jesus to look. We make Jesus talk the way we want Jesus to talk. Come on, somebody. This is first service. Y'all are into this. Come on. Uh, We we make Jesus vote the way we we want him to vote. We make Jesus think the way we want him to think. We take what Jesus says, and some of it we go, let me just filter that on out. Because I like this part, but I don't like that part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to airbrush Jesus to make Jesus the way that I want Jesus to be. Well, the series that we're in right now called Jesus for Real is trying to smash the filters of your mind. All right? The, the series that we're in right now is desiring to get to the real Jesus. And the reason we need to get to the real Jesus is that if we want to have a real relationship with Jesus, we need to know the real Jesus. Okay, here we come. Come on now. We need to know the real Jesus if we want to have a real relationship with him. Otherwise, we have a fake relationship with a fake Jesus. So this series is called Jesus for Real because the goal is to find out who really Jesus is. What does he really say? What does he really think? Who does he say he is? What does he demand of us so that we can have a real relationship with him for better or for worse? Some of you all are not in relationships with Jesus. You're here because you're thinking about possibly having a relationship with Jesus. And that is good. You know, it's it's interesting. Our church, we have have people that love the Lord. They've been Christians their whole life. And we got a lot of people that are like, hmm, I'm I'm just kind of hanging out and I'm just checking it out. And you know what? We we want everybody in on this conversation. We, We want you here if you don't even believe in God. We we want you here if you don't believe in Jesus. We want you here if you're just kind of open-mindedly thinking about possibly, who knows, maybe there's something here. But if that's you, I want you to know who the real Jesus is so that as you're contemplating it, I don't want to do a bait and switch. I don't want to say Jesus is like this and you go, okay, I'll follow him. And they go, I actually know he's like this, right? So we're going to spend some time looking at the real Jesus, all right? And what I want to do today, I want to start with a long passage. So I'm not going to have you stand for the reading of the scripture because it's long. I mean, I mean, you can if you want to, but no, it's long, it's long. Please don't, because you'll be up for a long time. Um, and, and in this passage, we're going to look at these, this a series of events that are incredibly compelling and really powerful and tell us quite a bit about who Jesus is and what our response to him should look like. Okay, so this is from Mark chapter 5. This is when Jesus 
had, had been preaching in the region of Galilee, north of Jerusalem, around the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. It says this, Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So this is at the height of Jesus' ministry. He is popular. He's famous. People press in when he starts to speak. So he pulls up on a boat. Man, people come out from the hills. They just come down from the sticks and start pressing in on Jesus. Then one of the synagogue leaders, the scripture says, named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet. Now, this is not something we normally see when it says, and then a religious leader came to Jesus. It usually says, and they tested him, and they tried him, and they, and they poked and prodded at him. But we see a religious leader falling at his feet, uh, a leader of the synagogue, at the feet of Jesus. And now we see why. He, ple- he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, saying, my little daughter is dying. My baby is dying. You know, if, 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 if your kids hurt, it makes you hurt. You know what I mean? If your children hurt, man, it just makes you hurt. And we see this man who is desperate. This is a religious leader. This is a synagogue leader, right? This is a a high member of the council, a high member of the community. He's at the top of the political, social, religious food chain, but he's at his, on his knees in front of Jesus because his baby is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Everything's good, right? Everything's good so far. My baby's dying. Jesus says, I got this. We're going to go take care of this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So I want you to get the picture here. Everybody's smashing in. This is no social distancing in this this story. There's no personal space. Everybody is just right up against everybody in this story. They're all pushing in. They're crowding in. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So a woman is very, very sick. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she was getting worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, hold on. I want you to get this picture, right? I'm, I'm Jairus. My baby is dying. Jesus says, come on, let's go. Now we're walking. And then suddenly somebody else, unassociated with me, comes and sneaks up through the crowd and reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus's clothes. Immediately, the scripture says, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, if I'm Jairus and I'm taking Jesus to my daughter who's dying and Jesus is being pressed in on every side by everybody and their uncle is pressed up against Jesus and Jesus stops and goes, who touched me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm feeling a, a certain kind of way about that in this moment, right? Jesus is like, wait a minute, somebody, somebody touched me. The, scripture, the, the disciple said, you see the people crowding around you. And yet you ask who touched me? Like, like everybody's touching you, Jesus. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. I want to know who touched me. He stops the, the, the emergency. There's a crisis. He stops in the middle of it to figure out what's going on. He, I want to know who touched me. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She said, Jesus, I've been bleeding for 12 years. 
12 years I've been sick. And I've gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. And now I'm out of money. I'm broke. And I heard that you were going to be in town. And so I, I was embarrassed. I didn't even want to talk to you. I just snuck up behind you. And I just, I knew that if I touched your clothes, I, I felt like I would be healed. So I just, I just reached out. I just touched you. And you know, that's what happened. You know, she tells him the whole story. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and your faith has healed you. Be free. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Right? Why? why no, no point in bringing him over to the house now because, you know, he stopped on the way. And then we hear this long story about this lady who's sick. And, and while all that was happening, your, da- your baby daughter, your, your daughter died. So don't, don't, even, don't even bother with him anymore. While Jesus was uh, speaking, that's what they said. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him, it says, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. People are crying. People are wailing loudly. It's a mess. It's loud. People are losing their minds. He went in and he said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? Why is everybody freaking out? The child is not dead. The child's asleep. Scripture says, but they, they laughed at him. And this isn't like, ha, ha, ha. This is like, what the, you know, it's like, yeah. Like there's, it's a cynical, bitter laugh, right? Like, what do you mean the child's not dead? We've been here. The, we, we're here. You just showed up. Don't tell us the child is asleep. After he put them all out, somebody say, put them out. There you go. Put them out. He took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in there with the child. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic and means little girl, I say to you, get up, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> I love the tail end of that story. Actually, she's probably hungry. You know, she's, she was asleep. She was dead. She needs some breakfast. Let's get her something to eat, right? I want to preach for just a few moments today on the topic. You need a second opinion. Come on, somebody. You need a second opinion. Uh, there used to be a billboard on 170. I think it was on 170 going north. And there was a picture of this guy who had his laptop open and the laptop was dead. It wasn't working. And you, the picture of the guy is he's like all frustrated. His hair's all standing out on him. And he's like, you know, he's got this look on his face and he's just losing it because his, his laptop isn't working. Have any of you guys ever had your laptop just like break down in the middle of something important and it's just, it's just dead. It just stops. Have you ever had that happen? All the Dell people have got their hands raised this morning. So, um, <laughs> Any Texas Instrument folks around here? Amen. All right. Um, so, so, so this picture in this billboard, this guy's got, you know, it's, it's not working. The computer's dead, right? And then the catchphrase on the, on the billboard is really, really pretty clever. I love it. It said, it's not dead until we say it's dead. In other words, what this computer store is saying is, you might not know how to fix it. Your friends might think it's not fixable. Everybody else may say this computer is toast, but you need to bring it in here because it's not dead until we say it's dead. In other words, it's not over until we say it's over. 
Today, somebody needs to hear that message. They need to know that it's not over until Jesus says it's over. Your, your purpose in life is not over until he says it's over. You, his plan for you is not over until he says it's over. The calling he put on your life is not over until he says it's over. Your relationship isn't over until he says it's over. Your, your hope, your peace, your comfort is not over until he says it's over. And we got two people in this story who think it's over. 12 years, you've been suffering from bleeding and it feels like it's over. You're broke and it seems like there's no hope. You're Jairus and your friends come and say, forget it, she's already dead. It's over. And Jesus said, hey, listen, it's not over. Now, now let me just compare this for you because this is one of these strange stories in this for you because two main characters at the same time. And usually there's one story about one person, but here we've got these two people. We've got this religious leader, Jairus, who's a rabbi, okay? He's, a, he's an elder of the synagogue. And then we've got this woman whose name we don't even know who is suffering from this, this, this ailment, this illness, right? So let me just riff on Jairus for a minute. Jairus is a respected leader in the community. Everybody knows Jairus. This is a town called Capernaum. There's only like 1,500 people in the town of Capernaum. There's only one synagogue. Okay. Everybody goes to that synagogue. Everybody knows Jairus. He's a, he's a leader in the, in the political realm, in the social realm, in the religious realm. Everybody's heard him wax eloquent on the Torah. Everybody's heard him wax eloquent in political discussions, or whatever. Jairus is a well-known figure in this town. So his struggle is going to be the struggle to overcome pride. Because a lot of times when you have prestige, it's difficult to admit that you have a problem. Come on, somebody. When you have, like, when you're a respectable person that people look up to, it's difficult to say, I'm in crisis. Because part of your identity is wrapped up in the way people see you. And so when you have to get down on your knees and say, I need help, I have a problem that I have no control over, then, then now you're going to lose something, right? In your mind, you're going to lose, perhaps, the respect of the people around you. So Jairus has to overcome his pride in order to fall at the feet of Jesus. But a lot of times, if something hits you like that, when you hit a crisis in life, all of the etiquette, all of the standing on the etiquette and all of the kind of protocols that you're used to, all that goes out the window because you are desperate for something real to happen. Your baby is dying. It's no time to be proud. You need to get on your knees in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your help. All right, so that's Jairus. Prestige, power, pride. Over here, we've got the woman, right? 12 years of, of, of heavy, heavy menstrual bleeding, okay? 12 years of suffering. So she's, she's impoverished. So, so over here, we've got pride. Over here, we've got poverty. And it's not just financial poverty, which we learn in the story she's got, but it's emotional poverty. I want you to imagine this. 12 years... 12 years, right? First of all, physically, you, you, you're weak and debilitated. You can't bleed every day for 12 years and, and, and be strong, right? So she is weak and suffering and frail. Emotionally, can you imagine? Like walking around, if you're, this would be a bad situation now, but if you're a first century Jewish woman, this is like ruin your life kind of moment here, right? Because she's always walking around going, like, is it happening, right? Can people see? Um, and she's nervous at all times, and she's embarrassed, and she's terrified, right? So we see that it's physical, 
It's emotional. It's financial. She's paid out every dollar that she has to the doctors to get this thing taken care of. And nobody can get it fixed, right? And she's socially alienated because it's in first century Jewish culture, if you're bleeding, you're ritually unclean. That means you can't go into the synagogue. You can't, you can't get, if she's not married, we don't know. But if, if, she's, if she's not married, she can't get married. If she is married, she can't have relationships with her husband. She can't hang out with the family. She can't cook with the other women. She can't do, she's socially alienated because she's unclean, right? In fact, watch this. It was Jairus's job to keep her from entering the synagogue. Think about this. So we've got somebody over here who is all powerful in the community, who is in a crisis. And we got somebody over here who feels worthless, who feels has full of self-loathing, shame, condemnation, doesn't even want Jesus to see her face, terrified that she has to come in front of Jesus and even admit that she touched them. You know, it said she was trembling with fear, right? When Jesus said, who touched me? She finally came forward, but she was terrified, right? This is a person who doesn't even believe they're worthy of Jesus. She doesn't believe she's worth saving. So let me ask you right now, just for a moment, where in this story are you? Where are you? Where are you? in this story. Are you this person, Jairus, where your life is good and there's respectable air about you and you know there's things going on, but you don't want people to know. So you're willing to put on a facade because you don't want people to know how bad it is. Your relationship is all busted up. It's just going down the tubes, but you need to keep presenting as if everything is cool. Your finances are just on the fritz. Every, you're in debt. You got a pink slip hit your desk this week, and, but you need to keep up appearances, right? And you're afraid to expose yourself to Jesus. You're afraid because then you start to lose respect. Or are you like this woman over here who doesn't even feel worthy to approach Jesus because she is so full of shame that she just says, oh, I can't even go to him. I don't even deserve it. I'm not even worthy of it, right? Either way, what they both did is what you and I have to do today. Press through the crowd, we got to push through the fear and the shame and the condemnation and the doubt and the pain and the bad experiences that we had and the woundedness that we experienced at the hands of other people. And we got to push through all that and say, I need to get to the feet of Jesus. I need to get there. I need to touch the feet of Jesus. Somebody say there's power in proximity. There's power in proximity. The closer you are to the source of power, the more power you will experience. You know, um, every mother will tell their, their child not to put their finger in a light socket, right? Because it can shock you. And we all know this. Did anybody not know that? You're not supposed to put your finger in a lamp socket? There's a public service announcement for any of you online that uh, have not learned this yet. A few years ago, and I don't mean when I was a kid, I mean like literally a couple years ago, um, <laughs> I was reading a book in my family room on my comfy chair next to the lamp on the lampstand. And I was reading this book and I was really focused on the book. And I can't remember what the book is, but let's just say it was the Bible. Let's just say that. <laughs> can't remember for sure. Let's just go with that. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading the Bible and on my left hand and my right hand is on the lamp. It's just sitting on the lamp and I'm concentrating here. And without really registering it, my right hand decides it's going to start to kind of feel the contours of the lamp. I don't know why. You probably do this too. I don't know. Some of you do. 
nod to the person next to you and say, I do. Yeah, I do. Just like him. Yeah. Yep. So I'm sitting there and like, I'm concentrating here, but I'm kind of just touching the lamp with my right hand. And as I'm reading, my hand is going up the, the middle part or whatever you call it, the neck of the lamp. Okay. I'm not really thinking about it. I reach the, what is it called? The socket. I reach the socket and my fingers discover that there's no bulb in the socket. So the lamp is not on. There's no bulb in the socket. Now, at this point, there should have been a signal from my finger to my brain to say, hey, please tell us to leave the socket, to walk away from the socket. Step away from the socket. Please send us that signal right now. But I'm so focused on the Holy Scripture (laughs) that feasting on the word of the Lord that I don't, this part of my brain is not talking to this part of my brain. So for whatever reason, I just take my finger and I just dip it into the socket. I'm just feeling the whole thing. Well, you know what happened. Like that. And I'm like, what is, what just happened to me? Right. And it took me like a full 10 minutes just to be like, did I just stick my finger? I just stuck my finger. I'm in the house by myself. I just stuck my finger in a light socket. Right now. The good news is that I wasn't injured. Right. It was, there wasn't enough power. Okay. Now, Keep tracking with me. This is going somewhere. Um, if I were to go down to, 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 to southern Missouri or, or, or south of South County, there's a, there's, a, there's a power plant down there called the Labadee Power Plant. And it produces about 2,400 megawatts of power. Like a lot of power. Now, if I were to go down there and stick my finger in one of the sockets at the Labadee Power Plant, I would be a little pile of dust. I would just be a little pile of dust, Right? Because the closer you get to the source of the power, the more power you're going to experience. There's power in proximity. Some of us today are out here on the edge of Jesus. All right. We're sticking our finger in the, in the light socket. We're feeling a little something this morning. When Mimi sings, we're going, Oh man, I got something. Right. Remember sister Loretta? She said, you get a jolt sometimes. Right. So sometimes we come and we're going to get a little bit of Jesus. But if we really want to experience him for real, we need to get close to the source of the power. We need to get right up there next to him. We need to draw right into him. I'm not talking about reading about him, thinking about him, talking about him. I'm talking about knowing him. I'm talking about getting next to him because there's power in proximity. Watch, watch what happened with the, with the, with the woman here. It says this, Mark 5, 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought... If I can just touch his clothes, if I can get next to him, if I can get near him, if I can come up close to the source of the power, I'm going to experience the power. And the scripture says, as soon as she touched his clothes, bang, she was healed immediately. Jesus actually felt the power come out of him. Some of us today need to, need to put away some of our pride and a little bit of our fear and a little bit of our shame. And we need to press in and say, I'm going to get close to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to pursue him. Our mission at One Family Church, you know our mission statement, right? Bringing people and God together in love. We say it all the time, bringing people and God together in love. Everything we do is designed to help you and me get closer to Jesus. Everything we do. This, this service right now, this is called our weekly celebration. We celebrate God here. Why do we do that? to help you get closer to Jesus, right? So next steps today, I'm offering next steps. We do next steps every week. You know why? Because we want to help you join the family. Why? Because we want you to get closer to Jesus. Life groups, the reason we do life groups, that's where we grow together. The reason we do that is to help you get closer to Jesus. 
We have a dream team. You know why we do the dream team? Because all of the dream team members want to get closer to Jesus and they want to help you get closer to Jesus. Everything we do, that's all we do, by the way, four things. Everything we do is designed to help you and me get closer to Jesus. I just want to invite you today to say, you know what? Number one priority in my life right now is to get closer to Jesus, to get close to the source of power, to draw close to him. You know why? And let me tell you why. Not just to get close to him, because proximity changes perspective. Walk, walk, walk with me through this process. Not only do we want to just get close to Jesus, there's a reason we want to get close to Jesus, because when we get close to Jesus, it changes us. It transforms us. It brings us new life. It makes us different than we were before we were Jesus. Before she was near Jesus, she was sick. She got near Jesus, she wasn't sick anymore, right? Proximity changes perspective. There's a researcher named uh, Nicholas Christakis. I, I would urge you, go on, uh, just, just Google his name because there's a TED Talk that he does. And, and he was a hospice doctor for many years. And one, one day, uh, he... He's in the lab. So he was, doing, he was taking care of terminally ill patients and their families. But then he was also studying a thing called the widower effect. And the widower effect is this phenomenon that happens. We used to call it when somebody died of a broken heart. But what, it, but what it's called now is the widower effect. And what that means is when your spouse dies, it increases the risk of you dying in that first year by double. It's, it's just a phenomenon that happens. People, people are more likely to die when their spouse dies, within that first year of when their spouse dies, like double. And so he's studying this widower effect to try to understand what's going on. And he said uh, one of his patients was being cared for by her daughter. And her daughter began to get sick, like physically ill, ill because she was exhausted and she was full of anxiety and it was a very tough time for her. And then her husband, the daughter's husband, also began to get depressed and sick because of the relationship that he's seeing what he's watching happen to his wife. And he said, Nicholas said one day he was driving and he got a call. And the call was from the friend of the husband. And the friend of the husband of the woman whose mother was dying calls the doctor and says, man, I'm depressed. I'm like freaking out. I'm like kind of losing it because my buddy is, is having a hard time. And what, you know, and because his wife is having a hard time because her mom is dying. And what Nicholas, he said it was like a light bulb went off in his head. What he realized is this. <laughs> proximity changes perspective. What, what happens is uh, what happens to one person then happens to the person that they're close to and then it transfers to the person that they're close to and then it transfers on down the chain. And you and I are deeply impacted by the people around us and the experiences that they are experiencing. In fact, much of our worldview is determined by the people we are around. Much of our experience of life is designed or is, or, or is the result of the people around whom we put ourselves. There's an old phrase, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Come on, you know that. Show me your friends and I'm gonna show you who you are. Why is that true? Because you are becoming like the people you are putting yourself around. Because proximity changes perspective, right? And, and what Christakis has done is he realized that this was happening in the widower effect and then he began to study all these other phenomena. He began to, to, to research a divorce, nutrition, all of these other kinds of factors. And what he found is you are more like the people, you will become more like the people you put yourself around. I mean, just at, over and over again. If you, want, if you want better relationships, put yourself around people in good relationships because it will make your relationship better. 
If you, wanna, if you want your finances to be better, be around people who take care of their finances because you will, you will do better. Your finances will do better simply because you are putting yourself around people because proximity changes perspective. Put yourself under the influence of people who make you the way that you want to be rather than the people who make you the way you don't want to be, right? Get close. A lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus was around sinners, you know, and so I'm going to be around sinners too, right? Okay, yes. First of all, you're not Jesus. Can we just establish that? (laughs) When you have the spiritual maturity of Jesus, then just go hang out with all your friends who want to take you out partying, right? Because Jesus, Jesus was tempted in all ways, like as we are, yet without sin, right? But we're not there yet, okay? So we need to put ourselves in, in environments where we are developed and growing. Otherwise, we won't bring them up. They'll bring us down. Come on, somebody. They won't. We, the other thing that Jesus did, by the way, is after he would go hang out with publicans and sinners all the time, he would go retreat into the wilderness and spend time basking in the power of the Holy Spirit to revitalize. And so unless you're of the Holy Spirit and, you know, and, and spending time with the Holy Spirit, um, just be careful who you're hanging around. If I, if, I, if I can, okay, I need to get back on this. Let me get back in the scripture. Um, let, let me just show you something in the scripture and then I'll come back to that in just a second. Okay, I want to give you the scripture on how, how we see this in this passage. Mark five thirty seven. It said, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. So when he's going to commit this miracle, when he's going to go raise a dead girl to life, he doesn't let everybody hang around with him. He excludes a bunch of his followers, all of them except three. Hey, you guys, I need you all to hang back. I just need these three guys right now because I need some guys that have some faith with me. I need some folks that got some encouragement. I need some folks that have some belief. I need some folks that are pursuing. I don't need a bunch of noise and a bunch of doubters and a bunch of loud people saying all kinds of stuff, right? So I just want my, my three disciples, when they went in, they came into the home, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying, people wailing. This is not the group of people you want to be around when you're trying to raise a, a dead girl to life. He went in, he said to this, why all this commotion? Why the, why the wailing? She's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed at him. So you know what he did? Verse 40, put him out. So he put them all out. Hey guys, I need you all to go out because I need to focus on what I'm trying to accomplish here and proximity impacts perspective. I need some people around who are focused and come. Are you reading? Are you understand what I'm laying down here? You understand what I'm saying? You need to get people around you who are gonna help you develop into what God has called you to be. You gotta put yourself, in fact, Christakis' research found that as important, if not more important than your willpower, your drive, your desire is simply your company. Your company shapes your character. If you, if you say to yourself, I want to I start working out, right? Don't say that to yourself in isolation. Go find somebody that's working out and go, can I hang out with you when you're working out? And if they say yes, you're going to be working out. Because it's a lot harder to say no to them than it is to say no to yourself when you wake up in the morning and go, I don't know, maybe not today, right? Your company impacts your character. Now, here's the thing. You have to listen to them because if you don't listen to them and if you, if you aren't open to them, they will cut you off. Are you following what I'm saying? Because they have already learned, I don't want to spend a lot of time with somebody who's going to drag me down. And so I'm going to get dragged down by this person. Unless they're going to come my way, I'm going to have to 
sin down the highway. You see what I mean? So, so we need to be willing to say, I just need to put myself in relationship with people who are, fo- who are follow. If I want to get close to Jesus, I want to get around people who are close to Jesus, right? If I can speak just plainly for a moment, there's some people that you, that you and I, all of us, we need to unfollow. Yep. There are some folks that we need to unfriend. They're, they're, not because we don't love them, but because they're, they're, they're bringing you down. You're not bringing them up. I'm sorry, you're not. They're bringing you down. And so we need to just take some time and say, look, who's going after what Jesus is going after? Because I need to go with them. I need to walk with them. I need to roll with them because I want to get closer to Jesus. Is that all right this morning? Is that, is that okay? I have, a, I, have, I have a pastor. I have a coach. I have, I have been very careful about my friends because I, I know that I can be impacted by the people that I'm around. So I'm going to put myself in the company of people who are taking me where God wants me to go, right? Because proximity impacts perspective. You got that? Let me, let me just give you one more example because I don't want to hang on this point too long, but actually I do. So you guys know Pastor Tyler. Is that Pastor Tyler back there? Raise your hand, Pastor Tyler. You guys know Pastor Tyler? Yeah. Hey, what's up, Pastor Tyler? <laughs> Pastor Tyler is the pastor over all of our production at One Family Church. He oversees all the production. So he has an impact on Ernest Carter, who is our video team director. Ernest, I know you're watching me up in the control room right now. What's up, brother? Come on. Let's hear it for Ernest. Come on, Ernest. All right? Now watch this. Ernest is training a young man named Xander to shoot video. Is Xander in the house right now, or is Xander... Where is Xander? He's probably running a drone over the building right now. All right. Xander's 11 years old, but Ernest is training Xander on how to run a video, on how to shoot video. So our video team has one of its best members is 11 years old, just so you know. All right. Xander, a couple weeks ago, trained my son, Jameson, who's right over here. Jameson, good shot. Your light's on. That means I'm looking at you. Jameson is running that camera right now because Xander trained him, who was trained by Ernest, who was trained by Tyler. Jameson is training Caden. Is that Caden? Caden? There's Caden right there. What's up, Caden? This is his first day on the job, right? Because why? Because proximity changes your perspective. So suddenly we, we, we see the impact of the people you are around is going to change who you are. It's going to change what you know. It's going to change how you think. It's going to change your perspective about life because we are impacted by the people that we are around. And the last part, I just want to get this out. This is all part of a a thread, right? The reason that that we want to get close to people and the reason we want to get close to people who can change our perspective is because our perspective changes what's possible. Are you tracking with me this morning? When our minds change, our lives change. We want to get close to Jesus because getting close to Jesus changes our perspective. When our perspective changes, that changes our life. Are you following me? Right? So, so, so she wants to get close to Jesus to have her perspective changed so that her life can be changed. Jesus wants Jairus to stay close to him so that his perspective can be changed so that his life can be changed. Um, I think I may have told this a few weeks ago and I'm going to close with this. But when, when um, in my neighborhood, some of, our, some of my neighbors call me the bike whisperer. I'm really proud of this. Cherry knows. They call me the bike whisperer because when their children can't figure out how to ride a bike, they bring them to my house and I teach them how to ride bikes. It's my side hustle. I make a lot of money 
teaching kids how to ride bikes. I'm going to reveal all my secrets today. But, but literally, Cherry can, can vouch for me because she brought Jayani last year and I taught Jayani. How long did it take me to teach Jayani how to ride a bike? About 30 seconds. Thank you. Give her a microphone. Um, seriously. And here's my secret, right? I have to first understand the perspective of the child. Number one, does the child want to ride the bike? If the child doesn't want to ride the bike, we're done. Bring them back next year. If the child wants to ride the bike, then I got to figure out, does the child believe the child can ride the bike? And that's where most of the work happens. So what I do is sit down, and here's my secrets. I sit down, not sit down, I stand up in front of the child who's on the bike. I put the child on the bike, and here's what I say. I say, do you know what? I'm going to tell you something, and nobody else knows this. You already know how to ride this bike. That's what I tell them. You actually already know how. You just haven't practiced. So I'm not going to teach you how to ride a bike today. I'm just going to, I'm just going to help you practice. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run along beside you down the street. Don't make me run all the way back because I'm getting older, you know. I'm going to run down the street alongside of you. I'm not going to let you fall. But by the time we get to the end of the street, I want you to just ride the bike on your own. Just ride it by yourself, okay? Because you already know how to ride a bike. And then I just watch their eyes to see if they believe me. <laughs> because if they believe me and they are, you know, physically, you know, sound, they can, they, they have the, they have, you know, they can do it. Um, I will hold them, you know, hold their back or their neck or whatever, kind of shoulders, whatever. And we'll run down the, the street. But by the time we get to the end of the street, they're riding the bike because they figured out that, oh, I actually know how to do this. I actually do know how to do this. It's not that hard. I actually know how to do this. And seriously, Jayani, like seriously, 30 seconds. Now there have been some harder cases. I'm working out, Jaden, come on, Jaden. I taught Jaden how to, if I taught you how to ride a bike, would you please raise your hand? <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the deal. Your perspective changes what's possible. How do I know this? Look at Mark 534. And you can come on up and help me, help me close. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. What is he saying? He's saying your perspective is changing the outcome of what's happening in your life. Your faith has healed you. You believe that you're healed. You believe that you can be healed by me. Because I remember what you said. You said, if I can just get close to him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. Your faith healed you. Your perspective changes what's possible. When Jairus' friends are all coming around and saying, it's too late, she's dead. Remember what Jesus said? Mark 5, 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Why did he say that to Jairus? Why did he even take the time to talk to Jairus? He could have just gone down and done the healing. No. He told Jairus, listen, don't listen to them. I need you to unfollow them. I need you to listen to me because I want you to believe. I want you to have faith. I want you to get close to me because when you're, when you're proximate to me, it's going to change your perspective. And when your perspective changes, it changes what's possible. Today, whether you are Jairus and you're over here with all of your prestige and your power and you're, you know, you're standing in the community and you're just a little nervous about really opening up and being a follower of Jesus, or if you're over here and you're the woman with the issue of blood and you don't even feel worthy 
to approach Jesus because you are so filled with shame and condemnation and self-loathing and a sense of worthlessness. Wherever you are on this spectrum, I want to invite you today, get close to Jesus. Proximity, there's power in proximity. Get close to the power. Get close to the source of power. Let the source of power change your perspective. Because when your perspective changes, then it changes what's possible. Here's what Jesus wants for each one of you. That song we sang earlier when they said, he knows your name. He wants it to get personal. He needs it to get personal. You can't come to church and just kind of take it in and walk away. If it doesn't come into your heart, it's not going to change anything. He wants it to be personal for you. He wants to pull you aside from the doubters and the cynics. He wants to say to you, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He wants to say to you, don't listen to them. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He wants to get close to you. He wants to change your perspective because he wants to change what's possible in your life. All things are possible to those who believe. And I believe that Jesus wants to take you and me by the hand, just like he did with Jairus' daughter, and say, Talitha kum, to say, my son, my daughter, it's time for you to rise up, rise up and walk in the newness of life. I want you to stand up and walk in the newness of life. I want to pray for you this morning. And and I I want you to, man, if, if you can, I want you to, I just want you to get real. Just get real with yourself. Get real with the real Jesus. The real Jesus wants to change you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to make you his. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you complete. He wants to draw you all the way in. I want you to pray when I'm praying. If you haven't been baptized, I want you to pray about getting baptized today, this afternoon. If you haven't given your life to the Lord, I want you to pray about giving your life to the Lord today. If you haven't come to Next Steps, I want you to pray about that when I pray for you in just a minute. If you haven't joined a life group, I want you to pray about joining a life group. I want you to pray about getting close to Jesus so Jesus can change your perspective and your perspective can help you change your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, what a amazing, beautiful passage. We fall into one of these camps, all of us, Lord. We either are so respectable that we're afraid to get real and let people know that we're actually, we actually need your help. Or we just don't even feel worthy of you. And so we just, we don't even approach you. We just hang back in the crowd. I pray that every person that hears this message today would have the courage to just step forward, have the faith to step forward, to draw closer to you, to say, I need you, Jesus, to fall at your feet. I pray, God, that that we would open our hearts and be real with you and experience the real you. I pray that we would experience Jesus for real today. I pray that every single person in this building, everybody that hears me on online, everybody down at Shaw, I pray that every single person, Lord, would feel the power of your spirit in their heart, pulling you, pulling them close to you, drawing us close to you. I pray that this would happen to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.